Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. We're in a little mini-series today that's going to um, go for the next three weeks, and it's, it's simply We Are the District. Um, it is talking about kind of the, the big picture, picture, uh, big picture ideas of, of who we are as a church, what, what we're about. And so uh, week one is going to be the fact that we are for God. Uh, week two will be we are for one another. And then week three is the fact that we are for the city. And so those kind of distill themselves out into three big bucket categories that, that you'll see um, within kind of the material of our church, whether it's on the website or in membership packets or whatnot. But we call them gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered discipleship, and gospel-centered multiplication. And so I, I'm going to scratch the surface on kind of each of these ideas over the next three weeks. Um, and really within that, um, just kind of give you like the main picture, uh, the main point of each one of those. Why are we for God? Why are we for one another? And why are we for the city? And so uh, my job for us today is just to, to simply put um, before you why the district church exists to glorify God. Um, why are we doing that? Why does God orchestrate and design the church to just simply be that, um, an organism, a body of people who, who exist, who live in order to glorify him, to honor him, and to praise him. And at the same time, why that is the best thing for us to do, um, not just to do, but to experience at the same time. Um, so, Church is not this idea that we are just meant to do things for God, um, but rather we're meant to experience God in the things that we do for him. And so Philippians chapter 1, um, verses 20 through 23, I'm going to read those, um, and, then, uh, and then we're going to dive into um, to discussing these. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 starts, starts like this. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Let me just pray for um, the reading of God's word here. God, we thank you so much. Um, we thank you for this opportunity to come together as a group of people um, who, who identify themselves as trusting you, believing you, surrendering to you, serving you, loving you, abiding in you. And so we come together to, to look to your word for instruction on, on what that really means. What, what does it mean to be in relationship with you? What does it mean to be for you? What, what does it mean to experience you on a day in and day out basis? And so God, as we look at your word and as we look at this instruction from Paul, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit, God, right now, Spirit, move in our hearts, move in our minds, Move in our understanding, move in our convictions, 
Um, God, your word says that it pierces our hearts and down to the depths of divi- dividing marrow. I mean, it, it literally gets to um, the intricacies of our entire life and it begins to reveal to us absolute truth. It reveals to us what it is that you have designed and that you have orchestrated in order for us to live this life in such a way that you are honored and in you being honored, we live life abundantly. We live life to the fullest. We live life experiencing happiness and experiencing joy regardless of what's going on in our circumstances around us. And so God, that's my prayer for us today is that when we leave from this place, when we leave from this service is that we're able to walk out of this place with a greater conviction and a greater understanding that when I live my life to honor God and to be for Him, that it is also in that place that I also will receive the greatest joy, the greatest happiness, the greatest sense of satisfaction. And so, Father, guide us in that as we jump into your word here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. One of the... One of the first um, monumental examples of, of the Christian life for me was a man by the name of Glenn Dyer. Um, you've never met Glenn Dyer. I mean, if you have, I would, that's amazing. Um, you, you're blessed if you've met this guy. Um, but Glenn Dyer was, uh, he was one of the associate pastors at the first church that I started attending when I was in high school. Um, so as most of you know, White House First Baptist Church, he was one of the associates there. Glenn Dyer, he's also this, I mean, I guess now he's probably in his 70s, but when I met him, he was in his kind of mid-60s and is just like the happiest person that I've ever met in my life. Um, Not only that, but he's also like the most like picture of glory of God residing in a person that I've ever met in my entire life. I mean, like you could not do something to this guy that would cause him to have a bad day. So regardless of what happened, and like, and I remember, I mean, he had so many health issues that he would walk through on a day in, day out basis where like literally he had some type of disease in his foot where his foot was like eating itself. Um, He had diabetes that was going on. He had a stroke while I was there. He had all kinds of issues going on health-wise. But like no matter what, if you're in a conversation with him, you're uplifted. Like life is better. Life is good. Life is exciting. Life, Life is Christ whenever you're walking around with Glenn Dyer. And not only that, but like, this was the guy that I would walk up to at times and be like, hey man, like how, how do you go about engaging new people? And he's like, let's go engage some new people. Like that's just the type of person that he was. Like, Glenn, how do you increase your prayer life and the, the kind of the quality of your prayer life? And he was like, well, let's just go and pray together and like let, meet with me at four in the morning. Cause he's like, I'm up, you're not, let's do it. And I guess so like this, that's the way that he operated at all times was let's get with the Lord and figure this out together. And so like the more I've been thinking about that this week, like Glenn just kept coming to my mind and 
And there has to be a resolution there. There has to be a correlation between Glenn's kind of unwavering joy and happiness of life. And then at the same time, his total surrender and commitment and devotion to the Lord and to honoring the Lord, to glorifying the Lord, to being for the Lord that I think are intrinsically connected to one another. Because if he wasn't for the Lord and if he wasn't for honoring God and if he wasn't for glorifying him in all things, then his circumstances are absolutely going to get the best of his, his unwavering joy and his unwavering happiness and his outlook on life. And I remember he would always say, like anytime I would come to him and say, um, man, I, I've got something that I'm dealing with. I've got something that I'm walking through that I'm struggling with. The first thing he would do is stop thinking about yourself. And which like at first it's kind of like, well, that's rude. Um, but like, but no, he, he was like part of the problem in this moment right now is you're focused on self rather than focused on God. When you're focused on God rather than self, you will be uplifted in this thing, this burden that you're carrying right now, that you're struggling, that you're walking through. God's not asked you to carry it. He's asked you to place it on himself because he's come to fix what's broken. So whatever it is that you're experiencing right now that's broken and that's frustrating, and God's saying, I'm coming, I'm pursuing you to fix that. And the way in which I'm going to do that is by you being for me, being all about me. And so Glenn was one of these first examples that I had of this life that is ultimately for God that leads to joy. Glenn's also the person that introduced me to C.S. Lewis. Not in person, because that's impossible. Um, but he introduced me to the writings of C.S. Lewis. And, and one of the specific ones that he introduced me to was this quote where Lewis says, um, the issue that you have is not that your desires are too strong. A lot of times we say, like, especially those of us who before marriage were like, man, just my desires for sexuality is just too strong. Like, it's, I can't control it. And the reality is, as he says, it's not that your desires are too strong, it's that your desires are too weak. He goes on to say, I thought that my desires were the problem. And Lewis says this, no, your desires aren't the problem. The weakness of your desires is the problem. You are like a child fooling about in slums with your mud pies because you can't imagine what holiday at the sea is like. What he's saying is, is we as a people our, our desires of God, our expectations of God are way too weak and way too low. And because we don't expect God to do something big, we literally settle for things of this world in order that we think that they're going to satisfy us, that they're going to bring enjoyment in our lives, that they're going to bring happiness in our lives. He says, so while you're over here being satisfied with mud pies in the slums, you're not able to dream about and even imagine what life at the sea is like. And what he's referencing there is life with Christ. What a life devoted to Christ looks like. What a life being about Christ is ultimately providing for you. Jonathan Edwards was another big influence of this. He says that God Almighty in his Trinitarian form is this, God the Father having an idea of himself which stands forth in Jesus the Son. And then he has a delight in himself 
which stands forth in God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is surging back and forth between the Father and the Son, delighting in each one of them. And so then he says, when God creates human beings, we are in his image so that we glorify God by both having a right idea of him, true doctrine, and by having appropriate, passionate emotions towards him, which is the spirit of God, um, that identity, that imago Dei being instilled in us. And so what he's getting at there is that we are human beings created in the Trinitarian idea of God in which we, when we rightly think about God, it produces in us a right emotion that we experience about him. And what that leads to is a complete joyful life. My understanding and knowledge that is increasing in God and who he is helps lead to my experience of emotions and and affections and joy and happiness, those things get produced the more that I get to see who God is. And the beauty of that is, is that the Holy Spirit, as he's producing those emotions in us, that's, that's kind of creating that hunger and that thirst that now I want more of it. I want to know Christ more. I want to know God more. And so we got to get this fueling each other reaction between our emotions and our thoughts. And so those things are not in war against each other. There's so many times where people will talk about um, the fact that there are churches that are intellectual churches and that there are churches that are kind of more the ethereal, spiritual, emotional churches. And they try to kind of lead out from either one of those things. And the reality is, is you can't have one without the other. Like, I like to try to view it as like a, a bike with two pedals on it. Like, like you've got the pedal of truth and you've got the pedal of Holy Spirit and they're not in contradiction to each other. So if you've got the Son representing the invisible God and you've got the Holy Spirit who's representing the invisible God, you've got both of them driving this Christian life that we have, knowledge of who He is, as well as ethereal spirituality, emotional, affectionate desires of who He is, and they are are propelling us forward in order to ultimately live and experience this abundant life. And under all of that, um, we have the Bible. Like, yeah, I can look at people and, and have people kind of explain to me these, these two realities, these two, two truths. But the reality is, is, is if it's not coming from Scripture, then I don't care what other people are saying. Like, I could look at Glenn, apart from Christianity, and say maybe his personality is just this bubbly person. But no, it's, it is, but it's not at the same time. It's produced out of this idea that Paul is trying to get at here in Philippians. So in verse 1, he says, My eager expectation is that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So his aim... Paul's aim is simply this. I want Christ to be magnified in my body. I want my life to be all about Jesus and who he is and what he represents and what he wants to accomplish on this earth. Now that's great, but at the same time, if there's no affection there, if there's no inward desire for that, then does that not just seem like work? I mean, it seems like a daunting work. Okay, I'm going to be for someone else for my entire life, and that's what I want most. 
Well, it's work if it's not produced out of an affection. So then this word for is a big word because now he's going to explain why he wants Christ to be magnified in his body. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That to me part is a big part of this because Paul's not always been for Christ. He's not always been for Christ being magnified in his body. If we remember Paul and who he was before he was Paul, he was Saul, and he was a person who was anti-church, anti-gospel, anti-Christian movement. He literally had a zeal for going and dragging out men and women and children from their homes and persecuting them, throwing them into prison, and at worst, stoning them and killing them. We saw that with the first martyr in Christendom was Stephen in Acts chapter 9 when um, Paul is the one standing there holding the cloaks of the men as they are stoning and killing Stephen. Standing there in hearty approval. I mean, like when we come in here and, and we get excited about singing songs to God and representing who he is and saying that, God, you are awesome. Jesus, we love you. Paul is standing there worshiping the fact that they're killing a guy who does that. That in his life was what excited him. Not only just that zeal for that type of of persecution, but Paul also at that time was one of the most prominent people in, um, in Jewish culture and Jewish tradition. And we've talked about in the past of, of the schooling and the education that Paul experienced in, in the Beit Talmud and the Beit Mitzvah is, is this idea of him when he was up to the age of five had the entire Torah memorized with his Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. By the age of five, the first five books of the Bible memorized. And what they would then do from there is take the best of the best of those. They would then move them into the next phase, which was then moving up to um, the poetry scriptures, the Psalms, um, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. He then had all of those memorized. And then by the time at, at that point, when he was around the age of 12 or 13, a rabbi would come in and of the best of the best, he would then take them and, and, and have them become a pupil for them, an apprentice. And Paul studied under Rabbi Gamaliel, who was at that time in first century, the greatest rabbi within Jewish culture. So he was literally, his education, his schooling was the best of the best of the best. And he was in line to literally become the leader of Jewish culture and tradition in the first century. So at his fingertips, I mean, he had wealth. He had power, he had prominence, he had popularity, he had zeal. He had everything that we would look at today, stamp on an American dream. That's what he had in his country, the American dream. And what he goes on in Philippians 2 to say is, all of those things, he says, as to Pharisee, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. As to the law, I was zealous. As to Hebrews, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. As to being circumcised on the eighth day at the right time, exactly. He was like everything that represented having life abundant in their culture. He said, I had it. But he goes on to say, but I considered it all rubbish. Which translates in the Greek there, dung. If you still don't know what that is, it's crap. <laughs> like it's, it's when you're walking on the sidewalk and you see dog poop. 
Paul's looking down at the dog poop and he's saying, I'm considering my entire Jewish dream that right there in comparison to knowing Christ, to knowing Jesus. So he's able to say things like this. For to me, Paul who has everything, to me to live is not those things, but rather to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so I actually want to spend just a little bit of time more so talking about this idea of, of why is dying gain? Because that sounds kind of suicidal. It sounds weird. Like it just sounds like, I mean, no one's like walking in here today and being like, man, I just think it would be better if I died today. <laughs> like I'm kind of, in, you know, do we have a ministry like that or anything? Like, no, we don't. Like I'm not, we're not starting that one today, but um but what he says is, is, is this idea. So I'm going to actually drop off the life part of it and just focus on the dying part of this. And it'll read like this. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that Christ will be magnified in my body through my death, for to me to die is gain. So what he's trying to get at there is that there's something to him dying where Christ will be magnified and honored. But to just leave it at that alone still is missing something very important. And it's verse 23. I want to go and be with Christ for that is far better. I want to go and be with Christ for that is far better. So Christ is honored in Paul dying because Paul's expectation is that when I die that means I get to go be with Christ which is far better than if I were living because now I'm in unhindered relationship I'm in unhindered there's no more sin that I'm seeing Jesus face to face I'm no longer having to read him via scriptures I'm no longer having to hear from him via word of encouragement from people I'm no longer having to pray to him from afar with the Holy Spirit kind of praying for me because I don't know what to pray for as I ought like I'm no longer having to do this unhindered or, or this hindered relationship I'm now able to see him face to face I'm able to be with Christ without sin and that is far better because I'm there with him rather than continuing to live. So because of that, what ultimately happens is when dying becomes gain is because we're worshiping Christ and saying that we get to be with him and him alone. Christ is honored in the dying because the dying is representing a greater place that we're going to be and really more so a greater person that we're going to receive, and that is being with Jesus for eternity. That's his gain. Is here I see dimly, as he says, but there I see clearly. I see fully because I'm there with him face to face. My eager expectation is that Christ will be magnified in my death because I'm going to experience death as gain as more satisfying than anything that this life could offer, that gain is Jesus Christ. Now, when you read that with, for me to live is Christ, well, that's all mission. 
for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Gain there sounds a little bit better than, than the idea of just living for Christ. But he goes on to say, for me to stay here is for your account. It's for your accord. It's for, it's for your purpose it's for your better that I stay here in order to preach Christ to you so that your dying would also become gain because when you die, you then get to go be with him. It's all coming back around this idea of whether I'm living or whether I'm dying, we have to be for Christ because in order for it to be better for us, it's only going to be better if Christ is a part of the picture. And so he's saying, it doesn't matter what you're living. It doesn't matter where you're living. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter who you marry, how many kids you have, how much money you have, how much prominence you have, how much popularity you have, how much anything you have. If you don't have Christ, you will never live for Christ receiving life abundantly and you will never die in gain receiving Christ afterwards. And so his whole point is, even though for me it would be better to die, for you it's better for me to live as Christ by preaching and proclaiming and living my life for him in all things so that everyone else will be able to experience what I'm experiencing. He's saying, I want to have fruitful labor. I want to stay and preach and proclaim Christ to everyone because I don't want them to miss out on life. And by life, I mean Jesus. I don't want them to miss out on that. And when we organize this church, when we come in and say we're, we're going to be a church that is for God, this is absolutely what we're talking about. What we're talking about is we are going to be a people that are not focused on how can we create um, programs that are going to satisfy people, we're not trying to create um, ministries that are going to make you um, uh, happy or numb you in some ways because that's what the, the world is doing that. We're not trying to be in competition with the world. Rather, what we want to do is go in contrary to the world and provide you something the world can't provide you, and that's Christ alone. And, and, and in reality, the beauty is, is that Christianity is not in opposition to stuff. It's not in opposition to having a house and having a spouse and having kids and having a good job and having good friends and having um, top golf. And like, like he's, not, he's not anti those things. He's just saying, steward those things, enjoy those things, but be for me. Know that every gift that I provide comes from me. And so we thank him for good food. We thank him for good friends. We thank him for good entertainment. We thank him for good music. We thank him for family. We thank him for church. We thank him for what he is providing in order for us to experience Christ on a daily basis. We steward those things. God created you not mainly to do things for him, but to delight in him. Guys, we do not want to create ministries within this church just for people to come and do things for him. We want you to do things that are creating the opportunity for you to delight in him. I would much rather hang out with a person 
who is delighting in Christ rather than begrudging submission to Christ. Y'all catch what I'm saying there? Like there's, there's big differences in that. And I've experienced both in the last 12 years of ministry um, of, of the, the people who show up every Sunday, but they're there kind of for themselves and wanting to check off their service of Christianity or their being a good person. Those are some of the coldest, heartless people that I've ever met who have just decided to use Christianity as a hobby. My Christianity as a hobby is like a, just a stupid hobby. Like if I'm going to pick, a, like if I don't have a relationship with Christ and I'm not coming to church to honor him, worship him, experience him, then, then Christianity is a, like, I, I'm going to sleep in on Sunday mornings. I'm not going to deal with keys breaking off and locks and, and having to have Jordan and Ryan climb over things to get all the material out of the trailer. Like no one's looking at that and being like, man, I'm really excited about this. Like I enjoy it. I can't feel my fingers, but this is good. Like, no one's doing that. No, no one loves meetings. No one loves those things. But when we're doing those things because of the, the reality that this is providing an opportunity for people to experience ultimate satisfaction by meeting Jesus, when those things become secondhand. Like, those, we are able to find delight in those areas. We're not after begrudging submission. We're after life transformation. We're after people experiencing Christ as gain, both in life and death. Because when they've looked out at all of life, and they looked out at all of what the world has to offer, and then they taste of Jesus and who he is, they'll never go back. They'll never go back. The more we enjoy God, the more he's honored. And our very purpose in life will be fulfilled because God's being honored when we say we're for God that absolutely also says we are for each other's joy and enjoyment and delight and some people can say well that kind of sounds self-centered right well think about it this way in this illustration if my anniversary with Kelsey is in October um I can say this because she's not in here. Two weeks in a row. Man, this is great. Um, but like this last anniversary, I mean, I botched it bad. I mean, it was, it, was, it was bad enough to where I was actually serving in kids on anniversary and Drew was in there and, and, and we were talking about what day it was. Um, and, and I think I might have asked the question, like, what's today's date? Um, and she was like, October 8th. Oh, it's your anniversary. Holy, Yeah. And, and so then I'm thinking, I mean, like, and, and to defend myself a little bit, I had been thinking about it in the weeks to come, and we had been talking about it in our household. Um, but the reality, we're, we're, we're kind of like, hey, we're just at a season right now where let's just not go big, let's not do, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, like, it kind of, like, let me down a little bit, but, but then I completely forgot about it. Day of, forgot about it. So I'm like, after we're tearing down, like I'm driving to Kroger to get flowers, like on the way home, like I'm, I'm, hey, who can come watch our kids? Thankfully, Drew and Ryan, she saw, and yeah, so they came and watched the kids, that kids, kid that night, because we only had the one, but anyways, um, 
and, and so anyways, botched it that time. I've got a lot extra time for prep this year um, since it is in October. I'm already thinking about it. But if I were to come into that and, and just something as simple as just saying, hey, babe, on our anniversary, I want to, it, it would make me incredibly happy if we were to go out and just spend the night together, go try a new restaurant, go maybe to a, a, a a concert or something like just in I, I it would make me happy to just spend time with you on that night do you think she is going to be like how selfish are you that it would make you happy like do you think she would respond i mean wives in here would you respond that way if your husband says something like that to you no why because it honors you that it would make them happy to spend time with you it's exactly what this relationship with God works like is when God, it would make me happy. It would make me joyful. It would make me have life abundant if I could spend time with you. If I could experience you in this deeper way. If I could know this greater truth about your thoughts that are higher than my thoughts. If I can know this way in which you go about pursuing people and interacting with the lost, how you go after the one from the 99. God, it would make me happy to be in that place. Do you think God's going to look at us and be like, how selfish are you? No, because he's all for that. God adopting us and bringing us into the family is him telling us, I want you to have life abundantly. John 10, 10, that's what he says. I want you to have life to the fullest. And the only way that you're going to experience life to the fullest is by honoring me, being for me. So the way that I'm going to close this out and I'm going to go ahead and have the band come on down. Um, this truth is, is um, a statement about 30 years ago that came from John Piper. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so that's our pursuit as a people is that I want to experience the greatest satisfaction that this life has to offer. And in response, the way that I'm going to pursue that is by pursuing God and being for God because in Him is where I find the greatest satisfaction that this life has to offer because He's the one that's designed the entire thing. So when I am for Him, He is honored and glorified. And in Him being honored and glorified, I receive the greatest satisfaction, the greatest amount of joy. I'm praying I become like the Glenn Dyers who are out there, the Jonathan Edwards who are out there, the, the guys who, who the C.S. Lewis's who say, quit dealing with mud pies in the slums. Quit, like, like it's not the issue that your, that your affections are too strong. Rather, they're too weak. You, you, you don't think big enough about what God wants to do for you. He has a C a delightful sea that he wants us to play in every single day. And so let's quit running to these lesser things that might be good 
Let's quit running to those things for satisfaction, man. Let's run to God for satisfaction. That's what it means to be for him, is just to run to him, to trust him, to to honor him, to to say, God, I'm going to pursue my happiness in you and you alone. I'm going to pursue my joy in you and you alone. Guys, sometimes when I meet Christians who are just, I mean, let's be honest, just sometimes people you don't want to hang out with, because they're kind of the, the, the negative Nancys. The, like, and I'm not like disregarding circumstances that are going on in life that are absolutely difficult. But I'm, what I'm saying is there's something about Paul. There's something about Glenn. There's something about these guys who experience just terrible circumstances in life, but yet have an unwavering joy and delight in who God is. And they're able to say, yeah, I mean, the key broke off this morning. It's no big deal. God's good, man. He's good. I'm experiencing him in, in a way that I've never experienced him today. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful mess. I've, I've gone through cancer and that's a difficult thing. And it was terrible. And it was, it, it was heart-wrenching at the time. It was heart-wrenching for family. I'm not, I haven't, but people who have. And they can say, but yet there was something about me that was able to have an extra step in life because God is good. God was my greatest joy. He's my greatest satisfaction. He, he held me through that. He walked me through that. He's He's good. Finances get tough. God's good. God's got me. He tells me in Matthew 6, don't worry about the things of this world because look at the birds. They don't worry about how they're going to eat and where they're going to sleep, but yet I take care of them. How much more am I going to take care of you? Don't worry about those things. God's good. And God wants to delight. Not only does he delight over us, but he wants us to delight in ourselves, in him. He wants us to be happy people. We, we always talk about that happiness versus joy issue. As if we can't be happy. We always have to be this solemn joy, man. Joy's joy's joy. No, let's delight. God's good. And Christ is our gain. And so as we take communion, the band, they'll, they'll play a song. And the way we're going to do communion is, is as they're playing the song, as they're worshiping, you just get up, you go take communion. And when you take communion, just remember, this is the price Christ paid in order for him to go after the lost sheep, in order for him to go after the lost coin, in order for him to go after the prodigal son. This is the price that he paid in order to be for your joy, for your happiness, for your delight, in order to uplift you in life, in order to give you life abundantly, in order to give you life to the fullest. He's all about those things. And so he broke his body, he shed his blood in order to bring us into that place. And so we don't have to go back there and take communion and thinking just simply about how wretched I am as a sinner. We don't have to always reflect on that aspect of it. We can come to it and say, God, I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to honor you because this is what you were willing to do in order to bring about delight in me in order to bring about uplifting. Like I can stand here today and say, I'm excited about life. I'm excited about church. I'm excited about friends. I'm excited about family. I'm excited about what God is doing in me because it's God doing it in me. And that's something to be excited about. So I'm gonna pray. 
They're going to play the song. You're going to take communion. And God's going to be honored. And I pray that our joy, our happiness will be lifted up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love. Your pursuing love of us. We thank you for all that you do on a daily basis to bring us joy, to bring us happiness, to bring us peace amidst trial and tribulation and frustrations. God, be glorified in us being satisfied in you and you alone. Be honored today in us pursuing you for for our own happiness and our own delight. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at